Welcome to Your Parenting is Showing, a podcast about what happens when your nice, smooth, professional front is upended by your parenting backstage in pandemic time. Where two so-called experts bring their friends on to talk about their own pandemic parenting wins and blunders, highs and lows, or as we used to say when our kids were little, popsicles and poopsicles. I'm Ellen. I'm a child psychologist in Boston. And I'm Molly, a local church pastor in Berkeley, California. And together we wrote a parenting book aiming to blend the best of child psychological science with a progressive Christian wisdom. To guide our parenting on both the easy days and the really, really messy ones, from toddler to teen and beyond. <clears throat> all right, we're officially recording. I'll take a sip of water okay. now so I don't drink on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ellen's drinking on the job, everyone. Drinking on the job again. Okay. And we are inaugurating a new episode of Your Parenting is Showing. We have um, a very dear guest, very dear to both of us today, Sarah Green. It's a Dr. Sarah Green. Let's yeah. put the doctor in there. You deserve every bit of that, sure. Dr. Ms. Sarah sure. Green. Sarah goes way back with me and Ellen because we were all at First Church Somerville together in Somerville, Massachusetts, back in the day when we were young and tiny and scrappy and like almost out of money and just (laughs) making church just something beautiful and and new every single week. And you cry. It's only been like one minute. (laughs) Tears are flowing. And now, you know, we've all grown up a little bit more. It's been, I don't know, 15 or more years since we all met. And sounds right. And um, we have found our way to different places. And Sarah is now in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where she is a professor at St. Cloud State University, where she teaches lit and creative writing. She's become a stepmom to two wonderful kids who you're going to hear about. And she's always been a poetry poetry mom. We just learned this phrase. um, Mothering poems into the world. And just such a beautiful person and a person we're thrilled to have on the podcast today. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks. So nice to be here. Yay. Being with us, Sarah. Friday. (laughs) Happy Friday. Uh, I had a moment where my brain was like, is it Friday in everybody's state? And then I was like, yes, Friday is not a time zone. (laughs) There's no time zone for the day of the week. Like I had, yeah, I'm still, the pandemic has made me so weird about time. Yeah. All of us. What is time? Someone yeah. put on Twitter that what is time? Yeah. You know, um, one of my colleagues, Reverend Kit, came up with this blurs day, or maybe she stole it. She's she's a magpie like me at the beginning of the pandemic. Every day's blurs day. Well, you know, the the long beginning of the long end of the pandemic is here. Can we like make every day Friday instead? Wouldn't that be way more fun? Can we have yeah. some, some more Friday energy up in here all the time? I was just telling somebody the other day that the main way I know what day it is is because of the like birth control pill pack and how it's <laughs> like luckily I am actually aligned with like a you know the real Tuesday. So that's that's about it. I'm like, okay, what okay. It's really helpful. <laughs> it would not be helpful if your birth control pill pack yeah. said Friday, 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 Friday. Yeah, you're right, good point. Yeah. Yeah, party time. Nice. Which is so funny because my sort of inclination toward anxious brain goes to <laughs> I would just start wondering, wait, what day am I on? Am I on the right day? Is oh, it that I know, day? Right? Is it no, this I guess day? I just trust. I just give myself over to the, um, but it's true. Sometimes the other day on Twitter, somebody posted something like it's, it's Monday and it was Tuesday, but you know how sometimes you see things a little late and I just panicked. <laughs> I was like, oh no, like I, I just couldn't, I was, I kind of just bought in. Like maybe it is actually just Monday again or still Monday. Or- it was a very convincing person. Yeah. 
Groundhog Day. Yeah, and every day Monday that would that's not the world I want to live in. No, we'll go with it. We'll go with everyday Friday. I didn't even Friday. know the Sunday series. I didn't know that phrase until like two years ago, and I think it would have been really helpful a long time ago to know that that was like a universal human condition, like the Sunday scaries. Like I didn't. I just thought, why do I feel the sense of dread on Sunday afternoons? Like that must be a quirk of mine or something. It turns out that it's really common. So you know, common. Su- Sunday's my Friday though. Like Sunday after church is when it's that's my party time. And it's so sad because nobody ever wants to party with me. Everyone's like <laughs> everybody has the blue, Sunday scaries. The anxiety tsunami. That makes sense, Molly. Of course. I know that um, we were talking about our friend Dan the other day and there was some, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. I think I wasn't thinking about it being a Sunday morning. I think I texted him at like 8 a.m. And he was like, can you never text me on a Sunday ever again? (laughs) Or Sunday morning. (laughs) Dan said that good for him. I know. He did a good job. I felt, I was like, whoa, it's funny. You guys do live in a, you guys live more in a Saturday night craze or I don't know when you write Yeah. I have done that well, to Molly. You have? Yeah, and once yeah. I was texting oh, her on a Sunday I, morning. I barked at you, you a little stop bit. stop texting me? I'm trying to record. Well, I, oh my gosh, I, I totally do, forgot. I do church on my phone. Like I do the live stream on my phone. And so if people are texting me and I'm really easily distracted and I get really flummoxed by oh. technology. So it's like I'm trying to talk into this tiny screen and like, my sister's texting me, you know, I'm like, everyone's, you know, I like text you, I've texted you during church. Cause I didn't realize. I know, I know. I've been like, Molly church is going great. And like knowing me, I'll probably just say that to the camera out loud, like forget oh. what medium I'm in and be like, and to all my dear ones texting me right now, please stop. Yeah. Um, had a, a Lent, I went to the Lent zoom for that's such a weird phrase. Lent, Lent Zoom for yeah. my church that I joined here, UCC Church, and um, the captioning or transcription or whatever, something was turned on that's not usually turned on. And we were both distracted. Like I talked to the minister later and he said he had been really distracted by it too because it was, it was, um, you know, I guess it's doing a thing that I remember from almost like 80s church services like on the tv like where it's sort of wrong words and then they belatedly fix it and you know where we'll say like so it would say things oh, like, they, like fix the fix the subtitles the closed captioning well, is inaccurate. Like, was wrong a lot and then it would suddenly get right but i'm trying to remember what some of the so instead of amen so it would hear it would listen and then it would say the wrong thing so like Amen was um I'm in, which I really liked. And I was right about that. Like, oh, I'm, I'm in. in. Like here I am, Lord. I'm <laughs> in. I'm in. Amen. Um, but the secular update. Yeah, I like I'm in. Um yeah. right, right. Um, but then there were some that were a little bit more I think like I yeah, there were some that were more of a problem than that. That was the one that I thought worked. Some yeah. of them were I mean, inappropriate, inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, you're like that word doesn't really fit. I mean, not like <clears throat> not like really bad, but just sort of like, like at one point my husband's name was like the word Peter was in there. And I think it was supposed to be like here. And I was like, Oh, Peter, you know, it was just very distracting. I, I had to cover it with my hand. Um, it's so true. Well, we were just talking before we started recording, right. About how, um, Sarah, you're a teacher and oh, yeah. I'm a therapist. We're doing so many things on zoom with kids and teenagers and they sometimes are sort of intentionally distracted, like yes. playing video yeah. games yeah. in their laps. Yeah, but even if they're not intentionally distracted, we're all 
unintentionally distracted, I feel, even more lately because you can't, somebody finally taught me how to put the um, do not disturb on my computer so that I wouldn't get phone calls and texts and stuff when I'm on a, but that was months into the pandemic that I learned I could put do not disturb on my computer. And it was like, oh, this is so but this, it just was this huge stress relief. A like, boundary. oh, I don't have to worry about like the the iPhone ringtone or the text messages popping up. Or I, yeah. it's so funny. I do a really old fashioned version of that, which is that I hide my phone in a different floor of the house, like a different level of the house, mm. because otherwise it is so tempting when we're doing when we have a little downtime to be like, what else is going on? You know, like it's just yeah. Just but it can be so simple, in. so simple. Like I've just been yeah. going in um, my. 16 year old is in a pod on the days that he's not physically in school. And so it's awesome. They have like a plastic, you know, those plastic over the door shoe holders. They have that on the door. So when the kids come in the room where they're doing their remote school in the pod, they stick their phones. Every kid has a plastic pocket for their phone. That's perfect. Um, But now I'll just, I'll pass his room if he's doing work at home and I'll be like, could you just, uh, I'll just pick up his phone from his desk and like move it to his nightstand. It's like just, and he doesn't like just 12 you. feet of distance. Like <laughs> yeah. At least bristles a little bit, but also it's like, it's not, I'm not taking it into the kitchen. Yeah. I'm not going through it. There's no, like it just, just You're two feet away. Just, just more than an <laughs> arm's reach away. From the phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Sarah, I have a, I have a poetry question. Oh, um, you, you I just set up straighter because it's like my professional. And I'm, now <laughs> I'm an official poet now. Just, Has um, you know, poetry requires attention, kind of single-minded attention. There's been a lot of talk about how the pandemic has really, you know, messed with our attention yeah. and focus. And it's been so traumatizing. And of course, you know, we, we dissociate and we we're like we're constantly carrying levels of stress that make it hard to focus. Yeah. Do you has has the pandemic been good or bad for your poetry? That's a good question. I think um, probably bad because I also haven't, like many people, I haven't been able to read mostly, like read novels. Read but long I actually, things. Yeah. Yeah. But I did just notice that. Um, so I, we were just talking before we started recording, but I was telling Molly that I suddenly found myself writing a poem in a kind of contrary way where I was wanted in a meeting, not our meeting. And I, um, <laughs> and I, had an idea in my head of something that I I think it's been cooking a long time and I don't mind saying this little part of it which is I went to see it's actually a Boston memory I went to see um this like wonderful concert it was Brandy Carlisle and Josh Ritter I think I think mm. he was the opening which is shocking because he's also a big deal and um it was the waterfront pavilion thing no mm-hmm. oh, yep. yeah. I know where you mean yeah and it was, it was I saw so Tracy fun. Chapman there it was so beautiful yeah it's such a it's just like it's such a romantic. I mean, I was there alone. I was like romancing myself. I was there, um, but it was just such a we romantic. romance ourselves, man. Yeah, no one was, else is going to do it. Serious. Somebody just um, posted the other day, like, um, uh, I'm tired of self care. I want everybody else to take care of me. I now. love like, that one. I love that one. <laughs> but I was there, and I and it was wonderful. And then I don't usually read. I don't always read music reviews, but I guess sometimes I get curious. You know, if I've actually been at something, and I remember the reviewer said something so interesting. I don't think I would have thought of it, but he basically said that her voice was almost like so too big almost for the space or it was almost like it 
was almost too ambient or sort of went beyond us. It was like, mm. it was, which I could really understand after the fact. I was like, yeah, I guess I could see that. And then that Josh Ritter was sort of meant for like a little club passim, a small mm. venue, and that he was almost too small. Um, and I thought, I don't, I never did anything with that, but it always sort of stuck in my mind. And then mm. just, just kind of yesterday, I kind of, was thinking about something else that I I will keep private so that the poem can go along. Yes, but I yeah. thought, oh, that's the metaphor. Like that's the thing I want to talk about. I want to describe this experience I'm having using those analogies or like those mappings or whatever that that person did. Um, and so that doesn't happen. I guess that I was just saying that to say that that was a really long time. I mean, that concert was in like 2016 or I don't even know um, 2014 or something. And and I read that Globe article and then. I guess it's just been in there. So that that's why I never know whether I should say like that poem took me, you know, 10 years to write or whatever. Like, mm, how long yeah. did it take to write? I don't know. But I finally had the the thing I needed it for, you know? Something, yeah, this something that was happening in this moment. Yeah, yeah. you got the last, it's like picking a lock or getting the last yeah. number to the combination or something Ooh. that finally opens it. Like, locker memories yeah so I don't think it's been good but I did I did force myself in um June or July I can't remember uh I just know it was really close to George Floyd stuff here and it was unintentional like I had I'd committed to something and then it was like oh you're in Minneapolis during an uprising and some really hard stuff um but I committed to this 30-day poetry writing um with other people to raise money for a small press um and i ended up kind of converting it to this black lives matter fundraising so that was nice that was stealthy um mm. but that was the one thing that was like a trick like oh i'll have i'm gonna if i'm accountable to other people then maybe i can make myself right um but even that was really hard i think i ended up having to use old drafts about half the time i didn't write something mm. because mm. everything wow. was in here yeah I didn't know that that was a thing poets did, like using old drafts for current moments. And I don't know if, if we were, I mean, I think that we, I'm probably outing myself. It's okay. It's over now. But I think we, we <laughs> promised that we would write something new every day. Oh, I see. And, okay. I thought that, and I pulled that off successfully years ago, but this time I didn't know there'd be helicopters flying overhead and, um, you know, whatever, all the gas stations would be um, burned yeah. out near us and stuff. I'm just... Yeah. Well, this sort of begs it like a, a bigger, more philosophical question for me. Yeah. It's like, is there anything new? Like Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. Like, right. yeah, we're living through this crazy moment and it's a layered moment, but none of it's new. Like our mm. ancestors lived through pandemics. They lived through uh they lived through Jim Crow South, you know, they lived through lynchings, they right. they, they lived through slavery. Not our well, we're all right. white. <laughs> Not our ancestors, yeah. our ancestors participated in yeah. keeping it going. Um but we're being called to this awareness in this moment because it's all happening at the same moment. And I think clergy and preachers on one level are called to kind of be oracles and prophets and kind of name what's happening and poets mm -hmm. in another way. Like before we were recording, I said to Sarah that I think of poets as kind of the historians from the future come into the present moment. Like you, the way you connect ideas, images, help us see the structures um, is so revealing. So, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean about sometimes it feels like, is it even my um, 
information or is it like collective unconscious information? That's yeah. And it's just yeah. coming through you. Right. Like you're, right. Yeah. You're the conduit. You're I the channel. Is good. I'm not, my specialization isn't um, romantic and British poetry, but if I, if it were, I could speak more about this, but I know that one of the ideas people had in that time was that the poet was like an Aeolian harp and that the breeze is sort of like blow through and, you know, just Ooh. play the tones or whatever. Um, so mm. I yeah. feel like now in this, I think spring is more of that breezy time for me. I always find myself writing mostly in the spring. And I think it's that, um, I always think of Molly's incredible spring is not safe sermon, such an incredible sermon. I've read it, but um, there's such a, um, I think it's a time where dichotomies kind of break down or just, or juxtaposed a lot. Like there's a lot of like, here's some birth right next to some death. (laughs) Like here's some stuff right next to some icy stuff. Like it's a lot of, there's so much intense contrast that I, I feel like I get stirred up by that. Maybe just, just seeing or being in the mix of things being um, right right against each other, you know, provocative. So, so, you know, we've, we've said this whole pandemic has been Blur's Day. Maybe this whole pandemic and uprising and moment of revealing and moment of national, you know, breaking apart, coming together, breaking yeah. apart. Yeah. Polarization is spring. Maybe it's all spring. Ooh, this is our Arab spring. spring. Like the whole the last 13 months. Well, and that juxtaposition of of things, even in thinking about whether the pandemic has been good for creativity or not, I mean, it's probably both and, as most things are, right? That on the one hand, there's all this juxtaposition and... In theory, we have this time to be contemplative and and creative, maybe kind of yeah. sort of, but especially for those of us who more are parents, yeah. or parenting, maybe yeah. less so. And um, I was thinking too, Sarah, when you were saying that it hasn't necessarily been the best, is that <laughs> I feel like I don't write poetry, but you know, Molly and I both write, and whenever I'm writing something that's more personal or more contemplative or more opinion not not just progress notes and work or whatever it it, I'm not the kind of person I think who can sit down in a very disciplined way and do that I'm sure I could if I forced myself I have but but now a lot of time it's because I just get an idea it's like something I have to say um, or just put on paper even if I don't put it out there Um, and those moments happen to me most in liminal moments or in transitions. I'm in the shower or I'm driving home from work or I'm kind of moving from one space to another. I'm in the in-between. In-between. I like that. And I just feel like I have so much less time in the in-between right now because everything because of that blurs day, because it's just every day, here's the coffee back in the office. It's all kind of, um, yeah, not having the drive time bet- mm-hmm. between home and work to, you know, let our thoughts unspool. It was or- a big deal. Like a lot of my early, earlier poems, I think, I guess I still lived in Boston, but I didn't have a car for a long time. And it, there was just a lot of public transportation. Like, I think mm-hmm. it made it way into my poems. Like half my poems were, I saw this person like on the tee or something, or I looked out of the window of the train and saw the river. Like it was all, it was like commuter poems, you know? 
Yeah. 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 I heard somebody, I don't know where, where did I hear that the other day that people are saying where it, it, all those things that used to annoy us, you know, the lines of people that weren't moving or the train that was late and how yeah. um, now, you know, we realize, wait, I missed that, you know, the perspective of um, the pandemic yeah. perspective of, no, I, I'll take that back again. I don't um, know if I missed that, but the other, because that sounds still annoying. <laughs> but the other day I had this moment where I was like, do I maybe miss trying things on in dressing rooms? And I was like, whoa, that's like that's serious. Like, cause that is not a fun ex- that's a usually for me it's not a fun experience. <laughs> Do I miss babies? But I've been having to like no. try to have pants come in the mail that like fit me without like that's just impossible. Like pants are already kind of impossible. And then having them come in the mail to you. Um, yeah. I was like, do I miss maybe I miss dressing rooms? I don't I've, know. I've started wearing pants again this week. Me Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought everybody should know that. I wore pants twice this week. It was uncomfortable, but for maybe some reason it felt like something I needed to, like maybe it it's tough. my own spring. It's like, you know, it's the big thaw. It's like, okay, I got to practice wearing pants again. Oh yeah. There was a <laughs> whole that one for the team. My, my husband got his haircut uh, recent, like very safely recently, finally after, you know, so long. And there was, it was something, I started wearing pants again. It was like, he got his hair cut and then I'm now I'm wearing pants with like a button, you know, it's like, maybe things are moving. Start with one. Yeah. Maybe we're going. So, yeah. Yeah. A button. There was a good, um, that was brave of you. Suggestions for sort of transitional pants the other day. Like if you've been living, which I have to like in black leggings, the same three pairs of black leggings for like nine months. Um, you know, what's a good yeah. medium step. Like if you yeah. can't do zippers yet. So there were some, there were some suggestions for like, yeah. Every day I go in my closet and I look at the, the row of like, I don't know if you call them blouses, shirts, whatever, like not cotton wash and wear stuff, my work clothes. And actually it was about a month ago. I I said to Erica, I was like, oh, this is the first time I want to put those clothes back on. Like I'm really starting to miss wearing those clothes, but they look lonely. They look a bit lonely. All those floral patterns that I've not been wearing. Yeah. I, don't I guess, know, I guess there's some light. We're, we're moving towards some kind of, like you said, Molly, middle of the end, I guess. I've been fantasizing for many years that in the future, we would all be wearing like Star Trek uniforms, something mm. like that, you know, different colors, different, you know, we'd bling them differently, but you know, yeah. just super comfortable unitards. Um, that would somehow be easy to go to the bathroom and cause that is a, that would, that would need to be a key feature. And, and this whole conversation, you know, it seems kind of shallow, but it's not cause it, it sort of begs the question, what are we going to keep from this time? And what are we going to cast mm-hmm. away? Like what right. exactly, in what ways is it shaping, transforming, helping us transcend weird rituals or expectations? Um, in what in what in what ways is it liberating us in ways that we'll we will refuse to then submit you know we we will refuse to give up the, that freedom right um, the freedom of our bodies the freedom of our tummies to be fully tummies you know mm-hmm. like the freedom to oh, be yeah. all of ourselves everywhere <clears throat> I was thinking about when you asked me you know about being creative during the pandemic or sort of if anything was positive I I noticed that I had a little resistance because um not 
personal resistance, but recently somebody, a mom got really jumped on, on the internet. You guys might've seen because she said that basically it's been, she's been doing great. Like she's been, she's been, mm. been killing it as a mom. And like this time has been fine. And she wants more representation of that. Um, like moms that have been doing great or something. And the backlash was kind of <clears throat> became clear that she has full time childcare and she's really wealthy. And like, she has she's sort of all the things you would need to be sort of still killing it, you know, um, and not any job loss or whatever. But <clears throat> so I'm very aware that, you know, nobody wants to be sort of bragging about how great they're doing in the pandemic. Um, but I will say one positive thing was I haven't had to commute, right? So I was commuting a really long way for my job and I've been working from home. So <clears throat> in the time of not doing that, um, especially over the summer, I just was gardening so much. So that was this huge thing. Like instead mm-hmm. of writing, just that was my creative thing was um, so many different kinds of flowers. I joined these little um, Facebook gardening groups where I became incredibly nerdy, like asking about my dahlias. Like I almost became, I think, a member of like the dahlia, the dahlia enthusiasts or something. Um, That's awesome. You can call here at University of Minnesota where um, the master gardener extension line where you can ask any kind of dumb beginner question about your vegetables and then they'll tell you how to not ruin them. It's lovely. It was like, I just became full on like, that's my, that was my whole summer persona was like gardening person. And so many people have discovered like maybe in their sort of chosen craft, they are struggling, but then we've all kind of branched into these other things like bad watercoloring or bad ukulele playing. It's like not, not to be formative, just to kind of give room to our spirits and desires. Knitting. I'm knitting nonstop. I knit all the time. I've knit hats, sweaters, blanket and I never knit before I literally had, I'd, I'd never knit before the pandemic and now I knit so that's a good thing yeah. for me I'm enjoying yeah. it Sarah, it's a little bit of good and bad I did right it's everything's yeah. a bit of good and bad for the positives and the negatives it's not all how, better how can we carry all that's good forward and also reclaim the things we really miss like you know, we were saying before we started recording, we had, we had the we had the real conversation before we started recording. Um, Sarah and I were talking about the intimacy of seeing people on Zoom. You know, Sarah, her students, me, church folks, um, their backdrop or their seeing their space, yeah. seeing yeah. their mess, seeing you know, seeing their general frostiness and mine. You know, like I did a children's sermon last week that involved my whole family, which even though they had nominally agreed to kind of went south and I had to learn how to edit <laughs> because I did not want to ask the editor from our, from our AV team to do it. I did not even, it's like, you know, we're all, we're all wearing thin, but like, right. Even so, even with the edited parts out, people saw my older teens crankiness and my, you know, the socks all over the living room floor and they loved it. They totally loved it. Oh, see, yeah, it's real. Yeah. So we're going to, I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss that intimacy, but mm-hmm. I, and there's other things we're not getting. We're not getting limbic resonance. We're not getting hugs. You know, we're not getting um, the ener- the energy that really only comes across in incarnational relationships. And the other information about a person, you know, just yeah, um, we're missing know, other kinds of interviews. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that I like about being a person involve like some kind of germ transference. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're like germy things that I like. Like. <laughs> Yeah. I don't like being close enough to people to like, I don't really want to get their cold, but like, well, gut biome, right? Which I'm going to get that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like all that research into gut biomes and how if you get oh, yeah. like 
you know, fecal transfers that you get someone else's like a piece of their gut biome, it will actually make you a lot healthier. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. C.S. Lewis talks about, um, talks about faith as a good infection. I love that. Yeah. There's good things we can catch from each other. I was kind of shocked in um, grad school because I, I hadn't been going to the kinds of churches where everybody puts their mouth on the wine on the host, yeah, on the cup, yeah, that is a little and shocking. I, yeah, and I started going to this kind of um, Episcopal but hippie-ish thing on a farm where you did just like pass it around and you know put your mouth on the thing and kind of vaguely wipe it off or whatever. And and I I had a I, it was funny because I realized like well typically that would kind of gross me out, but then I sort of got into the whole. It's not that I got into it, but I got into the. In, I started thinking about the interdependence of that. Like, oh, if we're all yeah. putting our mouths on the thing, yeah. we're kind of signing up for like our collective well-being, like very viscerally. And I kind of got in. I was yeah. sort of like, I get that. I can get the theology yeah. of it, you know. And yeah, and I think it's it like, from like a fa- from a family place too, right? Like yeah. that, that that intimacy that, that, that has always fascinated me. That even people who can be, you know, so completely grossed out by in general, other people's bodily fluids right, that right, can right. Have, a, have a child by birth or not or whatever. And, yeah. and, and it's not a big deal. Like it, oh, it just, yeah. like there's yeah, this totally. bonding and this like um, intimate, yeah, that, that, I don't know how to like describe a, a it. But ability or like a sense of like, yeah, the borders yeah. are a little different maybe. Yeah. 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 I think how, really early how on. Can I've, go sorry, ahead, sorry. Go. You go ahead, Sarah. Oh, no, that's okay. Okay, I, was just gonna say, I was thinking about that, like the kid gross out kid stuff. And I was thinking like early, really early into being a stepmom. I started um, being a stepmom when Lizzie was three and Jack was nine. And, um, and Lizzie's just always taken to like the more moms, the better. Like she was just like, okay, great. Here you are ready to like, <laughs> bonus awesome. mom. Like, it was super so easy, great. like great. Another mom, like fine. Um, but one of those things like, uh, was I just it was one of those moments where she just kind of like handed me her used tissue like you're a mom take that I think I was like brand new like no okay I got it's your first test yeah <laughs> it's just funny how the kid kind of teaches you like this is or at least maybe that's a step on thing that they teach you but no I think they teach you either way like this is what you do like you're you take my tissue <laughs> mm-hmm. you know yeah so that's did you take it my favorite thing oh, yeah, yeah oh no because I knew that was my job sorry yeah I'll Oh yeah, you knew it was your job. I mean, yeah, it was sort of a. I I did a lot of theater when I was younger, and I did improv too. And I I think there's a little bit of that of like, of the sort of yes and like. Well, now I'm take. I guess I'm a mom now, and I take the tissue. Like it just kind of. I just you know now I'm in this moment, and that's yeah. So that's what happens next, or whatever. Wow, parenting is improv. I love that. (laughs) Like, like going with it. Oh, it's so all playful. <laughs> yeah. I wish we, I wish I could always feel that playful about oh, yeah. <laughs> We have a couple of really silly kids, so it helps. And we should awesome. be, yeah, when I was saying I was saying it's always improv, but yeah, it doesn't always we don't always approach it with the same joy and playfulness that <laughs> we approach improv. I was yeah, definitely a no but parent early on. <laughs> Like a lot oh, more, yeah, not but, the yes and parent. Right. I thought I would be the yes and parent, and I wasn't. And actually, like for some reason, this this week I've been reflecting more on myself as a parent, and um, realizing how much I've mellowed. And particularly in the last year, I've really mellowed. My stress is high in some ways, like everyone's, but in other ways, it's way way lower. And I think I just didn't realize how much of that was really spilling out onto my kids. It was some of it was from my kids, but a lot of it was just from 
church work from from life and anyhow it's just it's great to know i can be more of a yes hand parent and that aging can aging really does mellow us you know i mean not all of us but i've heard that well, maybe yeah. aging or experience or i don't know <laughs> I, there's that movie coming out with jennifer garner like yesterday or something where, where oh yeah say yes to the kids all day oh. kind of take it to an extreme it looks it looks really good to me in that sense of kind of I'm super curious to see how kids will react to it because I think um, I mean I definitely am seeing that with kids that I see in my practice the range of permissiveness or not of, that parents have especially around COVID precautions and what they are and aren't doing and I think what's made me most one of the things that has made me particularly sad is when I hear kids tell me that they're not even bothering to ask, like not even bothering yes. to ask. Give me a chill. Yeah. Dad, yeah. Oh, do you think we could go for a camping trip in state, you know, for one or two nights? They've stopped, uh, or, or they've stopped testing the boundaries in other ways. Yeah. Is, they I mean, assume the answer is safer, but no. Yeah. And that yeah. it's not safe or can't happen. That that makes me so much more sad that the kids that are pushing the boundaries, that are testing the boundaries, that are pushing back, that are saying, um, cause it, cause it does sort of feel like a, a learned helplessness of the pandemic that I worry about. Like over-responsibility. Like one thing I noticed, so Lizzie is probably going to get to get, go back to school in person. Um, finally, like in a couple weeks, it's finally lots of different factors converged to make that make sense. And um, she didn't do like the first wave of that being possible. So she's still, she's lagging behind some people that she's remote right now and some people aren't, but, um, but pretty soon she's going to be able to. And I think it's, it seemed, I noticed this big change in her as soon as she took in the fact that that was actually going to happen, um, which she's really wanting, of course, because she's missing everybody. She's nine. Um, uh, she started, it's not so much like she regressed. Cause I think we sometimes call it a negative thing, but she, it's not that she got less responsible, but she she just started acting more like a kid and not like a little person trying to be another grown up in this big you know house of a teen and two grown ups. Like she started mm. being a little more sassy and 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 rowdy and like um, kind of more wacky in her imagination and just sort of more like it, inner id, sort of like just more of a, just more of a kid. And um, wow. I like oh, I didn't. I've just gotten used to who we all are in the, you know, this is who we are in the pandemic. We're mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. and she seemed fine. Really. I mean, they both have been really good. I mean, seemed really resilient, but, um, but I didn't realize how much she just kind of adapted to yeah. all the responsibilities of being a team member, kind of, of like keeping us safe and just, mm-hmm. or yeah. Or the things you guys are talking about is sort of just like narrowing your, and then, like, your imagination, like coming, like expecting a really small thing. And then it just seemed like suddenly she was like, she wanted to play these games with me where she was, um, she was a four-year-old again. And then, uh, you know, like I was, her huh. mom. and then there was one where she wanted to be my mom. And I was four. I mean, there was just a lot more like she was so like her fake four-year-old self was like incredibly obnoxious on her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just seem like oh, it's safe to be obnoxious again. Like, yeah, and with herself room. Like, I think she hasn't been feeling like there's room for her to be annoying or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's well, so interesting. I've not yeah. thought of that, but I think yeah, that being careful not to assume that they've 
I think we just have assumed because because they're still growing and developing and their their rate of getting older is faster than ours. And so I think we assume that, well, even though it doesn't always feel that way, yeah. um, that we assume maybe they've grown out of that and and maybe yeah. they haven't grown out of it. Yeah, maybe that was maybe the pandemic like, like pounded it out of them too or repressed yeah. it. Yeah. Because yeah. it yeah. was such a dangerous time and required carefulness and homeostasis and yeah. now we're you know they're it's spring they're they're mm. sowing their wild oats it's you know really they're cool to see. it's yeah. making me think of like you know I mean my parents tease me because my dad found some like book that I made when I was in third grade that said I was going to have like 12 kids and be the first female president and a child psychologist <laughs> whoa so, no you know, one, one, out, out one, one out of three but um <laughs> Um, I was always super fascinated by kids and child development. And I also went through, I think Sarah, you and I have talked about this maybe at one point. Um, I was avid, avid reader, obsessed with like Anne of Green Cables and all the, and I went through this period of just consuming all kinds of nonfiction related to the Holocaust. Um, oh, yeah. Like from sixth through eighth grade or something. And I always remember being fascinated and curious and wondering about the babies in hiding. Yes, me like, too. I thought about why, that all the time. How yeah. were they so yeah. Yeah. quiet? Yeah. Like, what, how, how did they know? Not cry. Not to cry. Right? Yeah. Like, the, this, and I mean, I know that's a way different, more extreme example, but it sort of feels like what we're talking about. Like I the, think it is the kids though. Like they don't know the difference. It's just like danger is danger. You know, I don't yeah. think. Wow. The, They're reading the, it the, off of like, us. No, I'm going to tamp that down or that's going to kind of get repressed yeah. for now until the danger passes kind of. Yeah. So yeah. Ellen and Sarah, are you saying our kids are all about to completely rebel and we should be ready for okay, it? I, <laughs> this was joyful. Like this was more like, um, it was just a different side of her personality. Like she doesn't have ADD, but it was a little bit more like that, a little bit just more like and, potential yeah. and like, yeah. yeah, like hyper and just free. It was really exciting. Like, Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. I just, awesome. There's so many levels to which we just don't really know how it's going to affect them. I was bringing this up with um, another um, client of mine, Molly. I was thinking how I think you said in one of our recent episodes of the podcast, actually, that you were wondering it, how could we quantify if we're actually growing in emotional IQ or emotional inte- intelligence being yeah. home all the time with our people? And I was talking with this um, patient of mine because I have a lot of college age um, people that I see that have had to be home with their parents <laughs> in the time when normally they would be escaping oh. all those family dynamics. And particularly for those who, granted, were already probably high on emotional IQ, um, a lot of the time that we spend is talking about how they're kind of navigating these new relationships with their parents as adults and how they communicate about certain things and talk about certain things. And it just occurred to me that I was like, I think their relationship to their parents is going to be different than it would Mm -hmm. have if they had done the kind of more typical, okay, I'm going to escape, I'm going to figure all this stuff out with other people. Yeah. And then I'm either going to bring it back and kind of rejigger my relationships in my family of origin, or maybe I'm going to leave them behind altogether. Um, but instead, they're having to figure it out 
with their families of origin, you know, with parents in that period of time. So yeah, it's going to change them in all kinds of ways. I think. Can you think of sort of a tree growing in a weird, like having to grow in a weird way because it's like smushed somewhere and it makes a weird shape or something instead of, you know, having space. Yeah. Like a a little bonsai being going to be be shaped differently, but they'll still grow. Huh? Oh, I love that analogy. I don't know. I mean, do you think it's it? Also, a poet? is that how you oh, can? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a problem at these at this point of having been a poet for so long, where I sometimes my brain can only go first to similes, and then if I ever need to speak straightforwardly, that's like challenging for me. <laughs> my most of my patients actually tease me about my metaphors because really? I have so many. Like that's all I do. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna try a metaphor here. They'll be like, "Oh, really? You are." <laughs> <laughs> I'm I shocked. Like, yeah. Dr. Ellen has a metaphor. <laughs> but those they really work. Like, I, had so, a- I mean, that's why, right? Poetry expresses human experience so well. They mm. work. I yep. was thinking about, I did a um, workshop a couple years ago um, at a church, like a poetry workshop. And this man came really late. And he actually, I think, meant to be at something else. But he got interested in what we were doing. And um and he ended up buying my book, but he basically told us that he has, he's has like high functioning autism and that it's really hard for him to understand feelings, other people's feelings, except via poetry, he can connect to other people's feelings because of the, so the imagery is and the metaphors are kind of like this bridge. So mm. he, he can it's kind of visual. patch over to the, like, oh, it feels like that because, so yeah, somehow it's just easier than someone saying it in a more literal way, I guess. Mm. It's really interesting. So I never Super interesting. Yeah. So mm. should we ask Sarah our Ooh, yeah. key question? <laughs> we can be yes. Go like, ahead. What has the pandemic Pardon. revealed to you, Sarah, about yourself, your parenting? Your humaning. Ooh. Your people, expected or unexpected? Good question. Um, yeah, I think one thing it revealed is that I thought I was more of a restless person that needed to go out and see lots of different people all the time. But I found a lot of joy in the depth of getting to spend time with the kids in this nesting way um, that could be particular to being a stepmom because we have them every other week. So it wasn't, it wasn't the same as other people's experience of having 24 seven, but, but the, the chance to be kind of like brewing in the blended family tea or whatever was really um, feels like this big gift because I the year before I was just um, mostly on the road on the way to my job or teaching or on the road again. And then just like zooming through that sort of dinner bedtime routine, like then it's work day again, like that cycle. Mm. We didn't really have a lot of time to be um, kind of just like basking. So I think mm. I, I learned like, Oh, um, when given this chance, that's not exactly a choice, but kind of a t- <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that there's something really satisfying to me. Uh, well, just that breadth and depth are both great, but like the, 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 the time when we had to give up on breadth a little in terms of like socializing with lots of different kinds of people or um, being in lots of different places, just getting to have some really quality deep times with 
the kids was really, um, yeah, just like really rewarding mm. and <clears throat> didn't necessarily feel like a, yeah, like a, a loss or something in this way that mm. maybe I would have thought of like, oh, I want, I need a lot of variety of my, which humans I'm seeing or whatever. Um, I love that. Maybe I just have really great stuff kids. That, <laughs> but, but I think it's just, it's something I wouldn't have gotten otherwise that, I thought of it a little bit actually as kind of like maternity leave. Like, That's exactly what I was going to yeah, say. Because it makes so much sense. Like stepmoms don't get family leave. You don't get time to like go nest with your new family. That's right. like going to be your people that you. Truth. That wow. like you suddenly are like yeah, yeah. No ramping up. I never like, thought about that. Wow. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking, Sarah. Because I was thinking about that moment when yeah. I realized that I had been home or at least working from home longer than I had ever been on maternity leave. Like I oh, had yeah. that moment of thinking like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. This yeah. is the longest I've ever had of not going to the hospital, into the hospital yeah. to do my work, even though I'm doing my work from home, but to be home. Yeah. And so I've thought of that before. And as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, it's your maternity That's leave. It's an overdue maternity leave. Overdue for oh, it was like belated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it That's made beautiful. There's this book I really like called, um, I'm going to get it not quite right, but it, it's good for Ellen to know at least about it. It's like the birth of a, that's the beginning, like the birth of a foster mother, adoptive parent or stepmother, like some like lots of different mm. types of moms. And it's all like playful, like Molly, you like that. It's like the birth of, but it's like, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but it's so beautiful. It's by a social worker who I think was a both maybe a bio mom and a foster mom. Um, but she talked about like why. She basically says that all kinds of moms need go through and need to go through the same kind of like developmental steps that, um, you know, a bio mom was bringing home a baby that she just made with her body. Like, ha- like that there's the same kind of like that we go through the same kind of milestones. And even if it doesn't matter what age the kids are, that they, or this is just her theory that she thinks there are going to be times when like they need to know that they're contained even when they're like being yes. cr- like messy and like, you know, not exactly hitting us, but doing similar that testing stuff, like yeah, absolutely. all those things that like the, the swaddle. Yeah. All the healthy she swaddle. That yeah. She thinks that, um, that these other, you know, alternate kinds of, I think it's mostly focused on mothers, but that, you know, we do the same, go through those same kinds of, um, kind of like bardos or whatever, um, with whatever kid. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, that makes that this just felt like it fit with that because it felt like it allowed me to do some of those like developmental things as like a another mom for them or whatever, you know? Yeah. Beautiful. And I love that. I love the word you used bask, you know, there's so much gratitude in that word. There's so much, you know, just like lizards in the sun, just absorbing (laughs) heat and energy and, and maybe, you know, before it's all over, Knowing yeah. it will be over, we can all give ourselves permission to do more basking with our beloveds, right? Right here and right now, before the world sends us all spinning out and moving about a lot again. I love that. Oh, this has been so fun, Sarah Green. I love you. I'm only being quiet out of... um I, uh, nothing ever stops me from talking, but I, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm your pastoral like pacing just um, implicitly told me we might be winding down. So, 
<laughs> you got that from my non-verbals. You got that not from my verbal over. Molly started making the coffee after dinner. Molly's like, who wants coffee? Like, you know, like, for the drive or whatever, like, it's so true, though. I've, I've been like, practicing different tones of voice or like that because I'm so used to being in the room with somebody and sort of like changing my posture to kind of signal. Like, okay, our 50-minute hour is wrapping up now. I you know? just, I, I want to leave them wanting more and I'm sure they will. Sarah, we'll have to have you back again another time. This has been so fun. So fun to yeah, see all of our faces together. I want more. I have yeah. like a bajillion. More I want more too. To I think about. everyone, I think e- I have something to promote. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. T- bef- yeah. tell us about your, your old, the your wonderful your book that I have. Yeah. yeah. All your books. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a 2016 poetry book called earth science. Um, and then more recently, last year, I edited an anthology called Welcome to the Neighborhood, an anthology of American coexistence. And it's a collection of fiction, nonfiction, and poems all about pre-pandemic, all about living living alongside of other people and being a neighbor and being part of a neighborhood and what that feels like um, for good or bad. Um, yeah. And then... Yeah, and now that would be very relevant as we reemerge. I think it might. At, at first, I thought, "Oh no!" Like, um, do we even have that anymore? And then I realized, no, actually, we've been. Yeah, we've been in that, so that'll be a good book mm. for people. Welcome to the neighborhood. That's from OU Press. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just working on my second full-length book of poems now. So when you guys ever see that, if you rec- if this poem makes it in, you'll be like, oh, it's the Bradley Carlisle concert. Ooh, we, we knew that poem when, when it to. was still gestating. We felt yeah, that poem yeah. in it, it does belly. Like Pavilion or like Boston Harbor. You'll, you'll be like, oh, it's the Boston Harbor Pavilion. Yeah. I love so nice that. To see you guys. Molly Great just brought us full back to you being a poetry mom. And yeah. Okay, mom. I think everyone needs a pastor. Everyone needs a psychologist, and I think everyone needs a poet too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> three P's, like three P's for for good resiliency, mental health, and and high joy factor in living. Well, take care, beloved. So great to see you. Come back, Sarah. And come back. Yeah. Uh, I'll night with you in person sometime, you guys. Yes. Sounds great. And and y'all listening out there, you take care too. And and do some basking and maybe also a little bit of healthy rebellion this week. Just like your kids. Amen. Amen. Amen.